Hey, listeners. After five babies, I've changed a lot of diapers. And I have opinions about them. A lot of people think Pampers Cruisers 360 are best to use when your baby is older. But in my experience, they're the best diapers to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. That's because these diapers don't have ordinary diaper tabs. They have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who just can't stop moving. Just slide on to apply, rip the sides to remove, and roll everything up with the disposal tape on the back. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof and just got even better with a new blowout barrier. And since these diapers stretch with your baby, your active baby can move all over the place, getting into everything as usual. Pampers Cruisers 360 are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com with the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This is episode 60. Today, we will be talking with Ann Johnson-Landry on running for office as a parent of small children. Not a whole lot of people do that for various reasons that she will talk about, but we are, of course, interested in all kinds of ways that uh, women in particular are making work and life fit together, and she is showing that it is possible to run for public office um, as a parent of small children. Uh, one one small. We're gonna get this. the the president of New Zealand. But yeah, the president of New Zealand is doing that. Chair, you know, you think about it, uh, various <laughs> next week all I'll over say. the map. I'm gonna say we're, you know, people have their thoughts on on Sarah Palin, what she's done with her life. But she remember she was the governor of Alaska. This is a mom of five, including a, yeah. a newborn, which is pretty crazy too. And with this, this is not a political podcast. And, and so, of course, this is neither an endorsement or anything of, of Landry or her opponent or anything like that. Um, but we do think that, you know, the issues that pertain to uh, women and, you know, mothers of small kids running for office are, you know, can cross party lines in many ways. And and so we're interested in hearing from her. We're interested in hearing from people uh 
in various parties. So, you know, feel free to write us about your own experiences. We'd love to have more guests on and we'll be, you know, she'll be the main segment here for that. And uh, I believe her election will be over by the time yeah, it airs. Yeah, that's true. The primary so is over by the time that this, this will air. We'll see if, um, what happens after that. So, um, we're recording this in August and Sarah just got back very late last night. She's being such a trooper doing this, this podcast, uh, today, uh, you got back late from your West Coast trip, right? Yes, we did. So we spent 10 days, um, flew from Miami to Vancouver, and then drove to Whistler, spent three days there with friends, drove to Seattle, spent two days in a hotel there and hanging out in Seattle, and then like four more days after that in Portland um, with kind of two sets of friends. And it was a lot. There was at least one moment when I think I made a joke. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to Pay, like Laura's gonna pay for this or something like that. I didn't make you do it. <laughs> yeah, you did. Your book did. My book did. Okay. <laughs> but in the end, I'm actually super glad we went. And I even made some comment that like my my future self is gonna thank me for my present self enduring some of those moments. And you know, truth be told, I will say it it was less hard than I feared. Um, and some of the challenges were different than I expected. Our baby was, Genevieve was very good. Nine, eight months seems to be a nice sweet spot for traveling, pretty easily occupiable, hung out in the ergo like a champ. I mean, just, you know, no, we didn't have any planned naps, but really she doesn't nap well at home either. So there you go. And she did wake up at night, but again, she does that at home too. So it wasn't really terribly different from our home routine. And then we had lots of fun diversions during the day. The harder part, I think, was that about eight or nine days in, the other two were starting to go bonkers. And I was starting to go bonkers with them, as was my husband. And we were like, maybe we like, we've had prior trips where we've taken a little adults only break where Josh and I have like left for the weekend and maybe left them with my parents. And that's been so nice. And I was missing that a little bit on this trip. I would have liked to have a little bit more couples time, but the truth is that, you know, with Genevieve still nursing, I wasn't ready to leave all three of them and it, it didn't make sense to like bring her along and then not the other two for any part of it. So we made it work and we made a lot of really fun memories. We, I, it, we did a lot actually. And I, I'm really, really glad we went well, I would good. Do it again. Good. That's good to hear. Yeah, no, this is the travel is definitely one of those things of the anticipating and remembering selves needing to have some weighing in because otherwise, you know, if it's just the experience of traveling with three small kids, I'm not sure we'd ever uh, do it given the difficulties that there can be in the moment. Um, Although, you know, the funny thing is like the airport part and the car parts, like they weren't that bad. Yeah. That's what I was so nervous about. I think the harder part was um, we stayed in some people's houses that like one of our, our dear friends, oh, they were the most amazing hosts, but um, they're expecting their first. So they didn't have like a lot of baby stuff all over the place. So it was sort of like, oh God, our kids are going to break their glass table. And, um, you know, like it, having environments that weren't, you know, quite suited to, to three rambunctious children and a, and a baby putting everything um, in her mouth yeah. um, made it a little bit more challenging. The whole like plane and car ride part. I mean, iPads are amazing for yeah. any older yeah. kid. And again, eight months, I think under a year really is a nice sweet spot because she was entertained by just like, I would like hand her puffs really slowly one at a time. And that was like, Sometimes she would crumple a page from the, the airplane magazine and that was enough to keep her happy. She like really didn't cry. She fell asleep a little bit. Um, I will say I brought a book with me on this trip. 
guess how many pages it. I read? <laughs> Zero. Zero. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of downtime, but yeah. that's okay. I wasn't really expecting it. Well, and I was going to say with the glass table, like you could have, you know, could have saved your friends the trouble of their own baby breaking it. So I it know. Been- <laughs> I definitely had that thought. I was like, well, this will be a slow evolution um, since they have one unborn child that's not mobile yet. It'll take them a few years. <laughs> We'll come back in a few years. See everything if, will be See if that glass table is still broken. there. Yes, it's exactly. already been and, and then you're good. Like, you know, like I said. Yes. Um, yeah, well, that's uh, that's great. And and people will sleep it off over the next few days, hopefully. And, you know, eventually you'll be back to normal, more or less. Yes. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. The light, you know, it'll do a reset. It's, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Well, we're excited to welcome Ann Landry to the podcast today. Ann is running for office in the state of Massachusetts, but we'll let her tell you about that. So Anne, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, sure. Thank you so much, Laura and Sarah, for having me on the podcast today. I am an avid follower and very much appreciate this opportunity. Um, My name is Anne Landry, and I'm running for state representative for the 30th Middlesex District in Massachusetts, which consists of precincts two through five in Reading and wards two through six in Woburn. I'm doing this as a mom of an almost two-year-old child. My son turns to this week, uh, but I decided to jump in the race when he was about 18 months old. And what you have a job other than running for office, right? You are also working in. I do. I work as chief counsel to Senator Brownsberger, who's the chair of the Judiciary Committee in Massachusetts. I've, I've worked on actually both the House and Senate sides of the Massachusetts State Legislature and have been in Senator Brownsberger's office as counsel for the past six and a half years. And did you need to scale down your hours in order to take on running for office at the same time? I, I did. And I, I I don't regret that decision at all. It has made it a manageable, if very intense experience. I ended up, uh, when I was considering the run, uh, talked to my boss, the senator, and he suggested he would be entirely flexible as to how to approach my schedule to make this doable. Uh, he was incredibly supportive of my pursuing this opportunity. And so I'm, I've dropped to part-time half hours, uh, 18.75 hours a week, exactly. Um, which has made it, uh, a more, a more feasible thing to do. Wonderful. So what did you make you decide to, um, throw your hat in the ring, uh, six months or so ago when you, you decided to jump in? Sure. So I have been interested in running for office for quite a while, about four years ago, I participated in a training program for for Democratic women who are interested in running for office called Emerge. But I thought after having my son that I would wait until I was out of the phase of life of having a young child or young young children knowing how all-consuming it can be. But what transpired was that our current state representative announced he would not be running for re-election. And this was this meant that there was an open seat, something that can come around pretty rarely. And it it became a matter of, well, do I run for office now or do I wait another 20 years before, uh, before taking the plunge? And because it became also became clear that I had the support at home from my husband and the support at work from my boss, I decided that I should do it now and, and that that way I wouldn't have any regrets about it. Yeah. And I'm sure that, I mean, obviously the logistics of running for office, um, there's a lot that is involved in that. What what does make it particularly complicated for people with young children? Because I know there aren't a whole lot of 
uh, parents, particularly mothers of young children who do decide to run for public office. That is true. And I do think that that has implications at the, at the policy, in the policymaking arena. Uh, but I think that uh, the lack of child care options can be a challenge for particularly for women and people of color. Now, recently at the federal level, uh, new, a new law has passed that allows candidates to use campaign funds for child care, which is just this year, I believe, and, and a great new a new opportunity that I hope will lower the barrier barrier to entry for for more women to run for office. At the state level, there was legislation introduced this year, but the end of the legislative session, formal legislative session, has just come and gone, and it did not make it across the finish line. Although I have no doubt that it will be reintroduced in the next legislative session as there is quite a bit of interest uh, around this area. But it's not just the child care. I mean, it's, it's uh, or the funding for child care. I mean, it's stuff like you are meeting with tons of people in the evenings, right? Like you're going to lots of community events mm-hmm. and it's sort of probably things come up that they'd like your appearance at sort of not entirely planned. <laughs> things. That, I mean, are those logistics involved in it as well? They certainly are. I think that it's interesting. I knocked on the one of the logistical matters of running for office at this level where there's a finite, I, I'm not running for president, I where you, there's no way you can knock on the door of every possible voter. But at the, at, at the level where you're running for state representative, that is the work that the main work of running for office. But you can do quite a bit of that work before bedtime, and then you can take additional meetings after bedtime. And so I have found that, ironically, there is some benefit to running for office being the parent of a, of a young child who has a 7 to 7.30 bedtime, because it's possible to go to meetings thereafter. It's also possible to do a lot of the work of running for office uh, in, the, in the afternoons. And so you say you also had a lot of support from your husband. What does that mean on a, on a practical level? So let me count the ways. So he has acted as my campaign manager. He was originally supposed to start off as interim campaign manager, um, but that has he, he continues as campaign manager with three weeks to go until the primary. Um, he also, he is a public school elementary elementary school teacher. And so he, with the, having the summer off has dedicated himself to uh, both parenting and campaign management. So he, and he does all of the grocery shopping and the cooking. Um, He has been a tremendous partner in every aspect of the word. And and so that made it more possible for you to, like you said, go to a meeting at 730 if he's there. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And by the way, like uh, I would say, the the idea you were still nursing when you declared your candidacy, right? I uh, did, I did. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been really difficult for me to have launched this run while my child was in the first year of his life, when he had recurrent ear infections. He wasn't sleeping well at night. We weren't sleeping well at night, and I think that having in in uninterrupted sleep is an important piece of running for running for office to make it manageable. Um, and I, we, I am no longer nursing. And that tapered off very soon after I announced that I was running. And I, I think that that has made, made it easier as well. Not that I'm sure it can't be done. Uh, women 
you know, pump and um, are able, as you know, as you well know, able to do a lot while breastfeeding and having fulfilling professional lives. But for me, I, I have found that I am grateful that that sweet but but often draining uh, part of our relationship has come to an end. I will chime in here. I've been very quiet. <laughs> I was joking to Laura. I'm I'm very jet lagged. I may be taking it. No, this is fascinating. So I'm definitely not taking the nap that I desperately need right now. But I'm with you. Um, it is it if you're all into nursing, which for me it's sort of like I feel like it's going to be all in, and then it's going to be not, it's going to be all out. Um, and when I'm ready, that'll definitely be a wonderful thing. It's hard to do a lot of other things. I mean, it's just kind of physically a lot. The sleep takes a toll, especially if you're away during the day. Sleep training or, you know, trying to get your night straight is a lot harder. And I, I love that relationship, but it can also, I was using the term ball and chain yes. um, during your vacation, <laughs> which is terrible. It's the sweetest ball and chain ever. And it's lovely, but it's lovely to be done as well. So thank you for that reminder. Yes, it is. And, and, and it's good to be real about it because you know what? You can also feel kind of superhuman. If I remember correctly from before, when all of a sudden that's gone, you're like, oh my God, I have all this time. Right. This is amazing. Right. I may as well so. run for office. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Anne, I wonder if you could talk us through a, a day on the campaign trail. Like what, what is it? What does a day look like? for you. Sure. Uh, so in the, so, in the thick of it right now. Right, uh, right. We're recording but, this in late summer where your, your primary is in early September, right? It is September 4th, the day after Labor Day. So it's two, it's, excuse me, it's three weeks from tomorrow. I spent the morning before recording the podcast, knocking on doors. I'll go out again to do some more afterwards. Although first I might work a little bit more on a press release that will be going out. I do have this, this isn't so much a, a day as a, as a week in the life Up, upcoming this, this week, I have a couple of evening events of what, what we're calling meet and greets that uh, different neighbors and members of the community host for people to come and hear my stump speech and ask me questions. So, so there are a number of evening events, but then at, at the level that I'm running, where you're running for state representative, which is where I'd be running to serve. A, a community of 40,000 people, but where there probably are going to be only a handful of thousands, probably, I think they're predicting maybe a 4,000 person turnout in the primary. Um, it, it is what you might call a door knockable universe of likely voters. So that's how I'm spending much of my time. We're, we're also, you know, going back and forth with the printer to make sure that we're getting the design for the the graphic design for the mailers that are going out on target. So there's that kind of correspondence as well. When you're knocking on doors, like what do you, I'm curious how that works. I mean, is it just you walking up to the door? Like the, the, dog is out barking at you. <laughs> Do they not have that where you live? Because we get a lot get of door knockers here. I don't know. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, We're running for the commissioner. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I definitely have come, I have come into contact with quite a few dogs. <laughs> um, and fortunately, I am a dog person. So I, I think if I wasn't a dog person, it could be pretty terrifying experience. But and I do, you know, approach with caution, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's no door worth knocking that's worth a, a, a dog bite. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, you do surprise people. It is something where you're inherently making people slightly in, uncomfortable because you're they're not expecting you at the door. 
Um, but it is, it is, I, it is a memorable experience um, for voters is what I, what I have heard at least is that the, no, it totally is. I mean, yeah. and I've had some nice conversations, but well, I mean, especially if it's somebody local and then a lot of times you can kind of make connections with that person and it's, as long as no one's sleeping in our house, I think it's, I think it's really nice. There is, there have definitely been times where there, where a parent of a young child has, has opened the door. Left, like, no, this was finally me time. Go away. Time, please, please leave. Um, and you're like, I totally get it. And exactly, then they love you. Exactly. And it's, I totally get it. And oh dear, because you would be such a likely voter for, of, of, for me, but I hope that I haven't messed it up by interrupting nap time, which I know is so precious. Yeah, we all know that that's precious. Yes. Now I was really annoyed last night when the phone rang at like nine o'clock. Oh. I had just gotten a three year old. Like, Who's caught? I was, you know, telemarketing. Um, you know, I got to get myself off the list of these places. I don't know how they have me. Uh, but no, you say so you just talk about. I mean, the the issues that you're running on, asking them you know, what they're interested in. I'm curious how those Yeah, so I, I will knock and I will let people know that I'm running. I'll give them a, a you know, a 30 second, if they seem like they're receptive to this length of time, I'll give them kind of a 20 to 30 second intro to who I am, what I stand for. I give them a, a pamphlet of information about me and then I invite them to ask me any questions they might have or if there are any concerns they'd like our next state rep rep to address, I say that I'm happy to listen. And sometimes people are interested in talking more about the, the concerns and the issues on their mind. And I do think that that in and of itself has has allowed me to learn a lot about the community in which I live and to feel very connected to that community in a way that I think will serve me well as the next state representative, I hope. But oftentimes people don't have a question on off the top of their head, particularly because I've surprised them at the door. But uh, I, I always tell people that they're welcome to call me on my personal cell phone with questions that they might have later, acknowledging that I have put them a bit on the spot asking if they might have any questions. That's great. And, and so you're doing the door knocking, you know, during the days and, and you know, talking at events at night. I'm, I'm curious if you've been surprised by anything that's come up a lot. That's a good question. One thing that some folks um, who were advising me had different kinds of opinions on was how much to talk about being a parent of a young child and whether that would hurt me in the campaign, that people would say, oh, she she can't possibly do this being a parent of a young child, um, or whether I should highlight that because, um, because it sets me apart. It um, makes me different. It makes me memorable. And I think at the end of the day, I've come to realize I need to talk about it in a way that is genuine and authentic to who I am, because that is, people will see right through that. If you're trying to use your child or your parenting as um, a political tool, people will see right through that. Or, But if you try to hide that you're a parent because you're afraid people will doubt you, people will notice that too. I think you just have to be authentic and true to who you are. And I do think being a parent of a young child does shape my perspective and will bring will allow me to bring the concerns of of working families and 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 parents of young children who are trying to manage their jobs and their their lives i think that that will that will allow me to bring that perspective to to the job that i'm seeking but i i think that it's not because i'm trying to use that 
so that that has been interesting. I've had people, I've had people say, I, I had one person say, I will vote for you, but I hope that you lose so that you can spend more time with your husband and your baby, which was an wow. interesting. I, okay, well, thank you for your thank oh, you wow. for your vote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing that would drive me nuts. I, Wally, I will never run for public office. <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting there being like, "Yeah, thank you for your vote. Please vote for me." Like, and I think that th- one thing that people don't necessarily think about is that both being a candidate and being an elected official are both very time-consuming and intense endeavors, but they are also ones in which you effectively act as your own boss and have a lot of flexibility over your schedule in a way that is actually very conducive to working parenthood. When in, in my day job, I have a wonderful boss, but I do have a boss. So when uh, he, when the senator is interested in getting a project done at four o'clock, then sometimes I need to stay late and it wasn't something that I was counting on or planning on. In my role as a candidate, there is an infinite number of things to do and, uh, you know, infinite numbers of community events I could be at, infinite numbers of people that I could be talking to. But at the end of the day, I have the flexibility uh, to decide and prioritize and decide where I want to be and when I want to be there. And one thing that I do prioritize personally is being able to be home for my son's bedtime. And I don't manage it every night, um, but it is something that I personally value. And I, I, I absolutely buy into the things I've heard Laura say about you don't have to be home for every meal uh, or for every dinner that's not necessary that's not necessary to be a good parent but for me personally I just enjoy being there for my son's bedtime and so I, I like to be able to do that but but I do have quite a bit of flexibility as a candidate and it, and I expect I would as well as a state representative to um, decide that I want to be home for bedtime but that I'm going out afterwards for meetings um, and I'll be um, at various locations throughout the day. Well, there you go. Yeah, it may be kind of a patchwork kind of exactly. a schedule, which in some ways that exactly. would work really well. And you're so right to point out the whole, like, even if I want to be home for bedtime, being home five nights is pretty great. You know, it doesn't have to be seven out of seven. When I was talking about the ball and chain, like, that's that's where I'm like, oh, there really is no – I'm really looking forward to having a little bit of that flexibility Absolutely. back. Um, One for thing- what, like. And I think that you, as a candidate, Absolutely. that would be and great. And actually, one area that I haven't mentioned yet about running for office um, that takes up some amount of time is filling out these uh, endorsement questionnaires that candidates re- receive from different organizations and uh, if you're seeking their endorsement. And, th- and you get so many of them. They take up so much time. And then some of them ask you, ask you for interviews. And so that, I've found, actually has has taken up more time than I than I would like because I would prefer to be spend the, spending the time interacting with voters and then sometimes they will schedule interviews at times that I don't really have any control over but other than that and but that is also the kind of thing I could say yes or no to but for the most part I'm able to schedule events as I see fit which is really nice 
So interesting. See, these are these sort of like back end of the politician. That <laughs> yeah, think yeah, about. Exactly. Very interesting about the surveys. I would never have like come up with that as a, you know, responsibility. Yeah, the there, there are a lot of organizations out there and I, I don't know, I guess the question <laughs> is how many, if can they get you 2,000 of the 4,000 votes right, right in the primary? Right, and right. They, they and unlikely them. that anyone unlikely. could, but then you don't want to, you don't want to, um, you don't want to give them the cold shoulder and have them endorse someone else or, or have them encourage their members to vote for someone else. So I, I remember there was one evening where I went to an event, where, uh, an endorsement interview where effectively all I had to do was speak to the room for two minutes and it was uh, you know, an hour drive to get there and an hour drive to get home. And it just felt like such an inefficient use of time. It was very frustrating, but, but for the most part, I don't have that. That's really more of the exception than the rule. So I'm, you know, we've talked about that for various logistical reasons, there are not so many um, parents and particularly mothers of young kids uh, running for office. And because they don't run for office, then they're not in public office. That's right. Um, and I'm curious what you think are sort of the policy implications of that. I mean, what winds up happening because we don't see this group of people represented in um, our, our legislative bodies? Absolutely. I think one of the most obvious areas where we where we see the implications of there being few moms, especially of young children at the table, is in the area of paid family and medical leave. Now, Massachusetts actually did just pass in, in recent months paid family and medical leave, although it has yet to go into effect. And it is it is considered and lauded by many to be uh, the strongest or one of the strongest programs in the nation, although still falling far, falls short, far short of what other countries offer. Um, and it will be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of whether it provides enough resources for people to actually take a paid leave and whether it is accessible to people regardless of their of their work structure. I think another area is in terms of the fa- the fact that Childcare and early education is is barely subsidized in the United States of America, in a way where the costs of of childcare are very high and unaffordable for many families, and at the same time, childcare providers are woefully underpaid, and and we see that at this level of our education system because it's so undersubsidized or unsubsidized effectively. Whereas the K twelve education system and even the higher education system are funded funded at a greater level, whereas it's affordable for for families and even free for families, and and teachers are are paid more adequately. Uh, I think it's also interesting just to look at in terms of the at least the Massachusetts state budget that the the if you look at the numbers of children under the age of five and. But the percent, and then the percentage of the state budget that goes towards services for children under the age of five—they're just disproportionate and out of whack. And I think we should be investing more in the early years of kids' lives um, with our with our priorities and with our dollars. And so, if you, um, if there are other, you know, parents listening to this podcast who are thinking, well, I've been thinking about, you know, throwing my hat in the ring. I thought, you know, someday I would like to run for office. Um, you know, and particularly on a, a local level like yours, what would you advise them to do? Are there things that you know really need to have available to you? Um, things you've learned along the way? Any advice you'd have would be great. Sure, I I would recommend you know investing some time and resources before you decide 
to launch your campaign if possible. Now, I had been thinking broadly about running and didn't and ended up jumping in without really having a formulated plan or having put aside aside uh, enough resources. But it is true that it is I do feel like the politics game is stacked against people who are struggling to make ends meet. And you need some amount of, uh, until we have publicly financed, entirely publicly financed elections, it, I feel like people who are independently wealthy are, are at an advantage. My husband and I, we almost made the decision for me not to run based on financial resources because we weren't sure that we could afford for me to work part-time for six months. But at the end of the day, we decided, well, we can do it. We, we can have, we, we have enough buffers if so that one pipe can burst, but only one <laughs> this winter. Um, and so, <laughs> so we made, we made it work, but uh, I would advise folks who are, who are serious about this to think about perhaps setting some money aside in advance. Um, another thing that we ended up, uh, another possibility would have been me for me to take a six month leave of absence, in which case I would have actually been able to do some of the fundraising work in running for office. Um, but as a public employee, I cannot ask for money. And so that does create a bit of a barrier and hurdle, although my fundraising team who has been organized to do um, the work of raising money for my campaign on my behalf has done a tremendous job and I'm so grateful to them. But it's it's not it's it's a barrier, although not an insurmountable barrier. But it is it has been striking to me how very much money does unfortunately matter in politics and in running for office. And it, it makes me want to see some changes in with with in that respect with respect to policies as well. But before that happens, I, I would advise anyone interested to probably think about about setting some money aside uh, in preparation, and also to do work the work of serving in your communities at right now um, to connect with your local party committees, to connect with your local government officials, to to volunteer your time with your community, where where you'll get to. It's, it can be very rewarding and you'll get to know quite a few people who are involved as well. Which will set you up great for other things in the future too, because regardless of how the you know campaign itself turns out, like knowing more people in your community is great for many reasons. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I feel professional and personal yes, networking. Absolutely. I feel incredibly connected to my community as a result of running for office and have made so many new friends. And the concept of who my neighbors are has just expanded exponentially. And that in and of itself has been really rewarding. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity, regardless of the outcome of the election. Oh, that's and really cool. probably got better at handling like dogs. Exactly. So, and this is wonderful. Uh, we always um, end our segments with a love of the week as a podcast listener, you, you know. So I guess Sarah and I will go first, and then you can tell us something that is really, you know, exciting for you. Excellent. Um, so for me, this is, you know, we're, we're going completely away from the politics part here. <laughs> I, uh, I have a couple of, you know, clothing items that I wear over and over again. And of course they wear out at some point. And by the time they wear out, the people who make them aren't putting them on the market anymore, right? Those companies have new art, you know, new seasons, whatever stuff. So I found, I just started searching online by the name of these 
products. And I found a pair of shoes that I really wanted to get on eBay. So I bought them, uh, replacing my old pair. And I found a, a cardigan like wrap that I was also falling apart that I really wanted to replace. I found on ThreadUp, um, the second uh, secondhand clothing market. So I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to keep looking for, you know, items that I know are, you know, no longer being sold by the first people, but that I really like, and I can probably find them pretty close to new. Um, both of these things were pretty much in new condition on, on the secondary market. So that was very exciting for me. That was my love of the week. Sarah? That's great. That's super smart. I'm, I would like to do more of that, especially, actually, I have a few like designers that I'm following on ThreadUp. So I'll get like, cause I don't want to pay full price for like Diane von Furstenberg, but I get their like alerts and every once in a while I'll be like, Hmm, so that's a great one. Um, no, my love of the week is, uh, the Ergo, um, that I mentioned in the intro, but we did not take a stroller. Well, I take it back. We took the little like car seat attachment to the stroller, mostly just for like going through the airport, but that's not like a real stroller, uh, on the trip. But I carried Genevieve around in the Ergo basically the whole time. And, it was great. So efficient, so much easier to get around on city streets compared to a stroller um, or even like walking through the narrow aisles of the airplane. Um, and if I had to hold her 20 pound self up for all that time, oh, yeah. my back would be broken. So that thing is amazing. And it's actually lasted since then. It's Amazon, actually so ergonomic enough that you didn't have like back pain from doing this. No, I really didn't. Uh, you know, if I one day I think I had it on for like eight hours, and I was like, okay, I think like eight hours is my limit. That's that pretty good. good. <laughs> well, especially since it was like ninety degrees in Portland for part of the time, right? Like you were have this baby strap for you. The Portland ninety has nothing on the Miami so eighty nine. I learned on this trip. It was like I was like, it's lovely. What is it? Because there's like no humidity, and it doesn't get it gets to ninety for like five minutes, and then it like goes straight back down again. It's go. like not the same. All right, Anne, what do you have for us? <laughs> so I would say that my love of the week is unplugging before bed because although I no longer have a child who I'm breastfeeding who's keeping me up all night long or who is keeping me up all night long because the poor thing has ear infections. Um, the campaign stress can keep me up a little bit at nights, but I've discovered that leaving my cell phone downstairs when I go up to bed and giving myself a little bit of space between sending campaign emails or doing campaign work on the computer and, and going to bed has been really beneficial to allow me to get the sleep that I need uh, to hit the ground running the next day. Excellent. We should probably all do more of that. It's <laughs> a bit as a reminder of my, to myself of what I need to be doing <laughs> every night between now and the, and, and, and the election. Exactly. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you, Anne, so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you both so much. This has been such a pleasure for me. And I, I really appreciate uh, the work that you do in, in uh, delivering this podcast to the world. I really enjoy it. And it's an honor to be a participant this week. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, this brings us to our Q&A part of the podcast. This one is about mommy brain. So our listener wrote and said, hello, Laura and Sarah. I love listening to you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I have a question. Do you have any tips for dealing with mommy brain, which is really just chronically not getting enough sleep when you're at work? Sorry, that's uh, dealing with mommy brain at work, which mommy brain being defined here in her words as not getting enough sleep. For some context, she works as a clinical research manager. Um, she's project managing about 12 to 15 different studies at any given time. Um, obviously, this requires a lot of intense work, attention to detail, um, managing teams. 
She's been doing this for over 10 years and it fits her strengths well, but she is now also the mom of twin one and a half year old girls. Um, as any twin mom can attest to, the first six months are a crazy blur, but we've made it through that. She's back at work. She loves her work. She loves her family. How the thing I've noticed is even now that I'm out of the baby phase and have toddlers, I still seem to have what she calls mommy brain. I'm usually a very organized, detailed, checklist planner person, but I find that I'm just not as on as I used to be. I'll blank on a coworker's name who I've known for five years. I totally just missed a conference call last week, despite the calendar reminders I had about it 15 minutes beforehand. Uh, so she says, I checked my sleep since I went back to work. And while it's better than the newborn stage, I should still usually only get an average of five and a half to six hours of interrupted sleep a night. My girls are just not good sleepers. Sometimes they can fall back asleep themselves. Sometimes I can get to them, get them right back. Um, but sometimes it takes an hour or two. Um, my husband and I take turns getting up, but even when he's the one getting out of bed to check on them, I still wake up every time they do. I know I have a really good track record at work, so one or two mistakes can be excused as one-offs. Um, so far, I haven't made any huge mistakes, but my work does need to be done at a high level of quality, and I'm worried I might, it bugs me also that I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I wonder if this is the new normal or if it will ever get back to where it was, um, and I'll be my usual organized self. Any tips on working long-term on less than adequate sleep? Well, Sarah, as somebody who has been working on less than adequate sleep, what can you tell us? Yeah. Well, and you know, <laughs> she made some joke. I can't remember if you've answered a similar question already on this podcast. I think we actually kind of did, but not quite with the same angle. So I think it's worth revisiting. And to that end, um, if we can't keep track of our own podcast questions, we certainly can't expect you to. So what I'm saying with that is maybe you have really high standards for yourself. So I bet you're doing better than you think already. But I will say that there are probably a few survival things that might help you. And I'm wondering if perhaps there's a way that you might need to have some sterile nights, like where you just put your husband in charge and then you could kind of pay him back. Maybe maybe it's just two weeknights and he does two weeknights and you go in another room with white noise so you can't hear them even if they need you. Now, I don't know if you're still nursing them at night. If that's the case, then, oh God, I don't have a great answer for you. But if, if it's just more like soothing them, which is that's kind of what it sounded like, that could be – and it's probably better for you to each have like two terrible nights and then two like amazing nights of nine hours of sleep rather than kind of like – especially if you're hearing them every time, um, being both kind of partially awoken um, most of the night. So that's that's – I mean I would really think about trying to do that. And if you really can't manage doing that in the week, then maybe at least on the weekends, like one of you gets Saturday night and one of you gets Sunday, something like that. I also would say, you know, I think that you're probably already doing this, but you are absolutely right to to, to realize that it's pro it's the sleep. It's not like quote unquote mommy brain. It's it's sleep deprivation brain, which is a real thing. I mean, there's studies that show when you're operating on significantly less sleep than you need that you you lose that sort of frontal functioning. You are slower. Your reaction time is impaired. You know, similar to uh, having some sort of blood alcohol limit that's, that's above the legal limit in some cases if, if the sleep deprivation is severe enough. So, I mean, make sure you're getting rid of any other things that are not essentials that are possibly blocking your sleep. Like if you are watching a show to wind down and you end up going to bed at 10, you may need to cut that out. I'm not saying you're doing that. You may already be not doing that, but you know, you may need to go to bed some nights at some obscene hour, like right after the twins are in bed at 8.30 in order to to get that first good block, maybe that they sleep until until midnight so you can get that restorative part of the 
the night. And then finally, well, two more things. Save your most important tasks, like those really detail-oriented tasks for when you're freshest. Again, you may already be doing that, but you can kind of answer emails in the afternoon, but know that your sort of super sharp stuff could happen in the morning, perhaps after coffee if you are a caffeine drinker. You may have that sort of period of lucidity before the fatigue sets back in. And finally, cut yourself some slack because it most likely is going to get better. And I, as I, I haven't had twins, but I, I mean, I, I still can't totally wrap my head around how people deal with that because there is a special challenge in dealing with two that have the same kinds of needs at once. I mean, in some ways, I guess there's economy of scale. Um, like you would only have to order diapers for a certain number of years and then you could not think about it or something like that. But really, I think that in general, it makes things a lot tougher um, and that you're in kind of the hardest part. Like I, I find toddlers more challenging than babies personally. So cut yourself some slack because I think that probably things are going to get better and brighter as they get older. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I would say that, uh, you know, one of the reasons I love reading Sarah Sarah's blog and her Instagram post, she's very, you know, real and authentic about what she's been going through. And uh, read these posts of Sarah, you're like, oh, I haven't, you know, done the best I could possibly do this year at work or something. I'm like, you know, what you consider bad, I think is what a normal person would consider. <laughs> like firing on all cylinders. And I suspect it is the same thing for our listener here that, um, you know, she's like, I missed a conference call. Oh my goodness. Right. Like, yeah. And, and, and she, like and she have, didn't miss like 9,000 other conference calls, calls like, and meetings you know, and other people expectations. People have forgotten yes. about stuff, not because they are mommies with toddler twins. They have forgotten stuff because like, they just forgot <laughs> or like, you know, they were in traffic and they forgot and they, you know, were on another call and they forgot or, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of reasons that people let things you know, slide. And again, it's small things might help to just realize that you are probably doing great. What you consider as being um, subpar is, is probably not subpar for anyone who is actually working with you. Um, so it's it's going to get better, and you're doing great already. So this has been Best of Both Worlds. Um, this has been Episode 60. We have been talking with Ann Johnson-Landry on Running for Office, and we will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.